Welcome to the Next Level American Dream podcast, brought to you by Thompson Multifamily Group. Your hosts, Abigail and Sean, will discuss how you can take your American dream to the next level through real estate investing, business practices, and personal development. Join us as we share our experiences as a father-daughter duo who are trying to accomplish their goal of financial freedom. We hope you learn more about how to define and achieve your American dream. Here's another episode of Next Level American Dream. Welcome to the Next Level American Dream podcast. We have a great episode for you today, but before I introduce our guest for the day, I want to take some time to ask you to subscribe if you haven't already. Also, please like, comment, rate, and review on your favorite platform. Today, Sean sat down with Travis Watts, a full-time passive investor. He has been investing in real estate since 2009 and is now the Director of Investor Relations for Ashcroft Capital. In his interview, Travis talks about how he approaches investor relations and passive investing in multifamily. If you learned something from our episode today, please recommend it to a friend and help us grow. For more information on our sponsor, Thompson Multifamily Group, visit thompsonmultifamilygroup.com to start taking your American dream to the next level through passive investing. Hi, Travis. Uh, thanks for coming on Next Level American Dream Podcast with us. How are you doing? Sean, I'm doing great. We had a lengthy conversation before this. feel like I already know you. Excited to yeah. get started. We did. Yeah, just to let everybody know, we, we did a full, a full podcast and, and I forgot to hit the record button. So we're going we're gonna to do this again. We're going to probably make it a little quicker. Travis is a busy man. He's got a lot going on. So uh, we're going to go through this a little bit faster, but we'll still cover the same information. Well, th- thanks again, Travis. I really appreciate you doing this the second time today. And tell us a little bit about, I know you're the uh, Investor Relations Director for Ashcroft Capital now. What is it? What, what was the path you sort of took to get to this place now? Yeah, great question. So I'll, I'll give you kind of a different take. I'll, I'll come from the real estate background of it. So I was a guy that got started in 2009 in single family homes and did a lot of different active strategies, did house hacking and renting spare bedrooms that led into fix and flipping uh, properties that led into vacation rentals and single family and you know buying owner occupied homes fixing them up and and selling them two years later and all these kinds of things and meanwhile i had a w2 gig in the oil industry where i worked 14 hour days 98 hour work weeks you know out of state overseas it was a lot i had a lot going on <laughs> thankfully at that time i you know i didn't have kids or family or any other people in my life to report to so it was just me trading time for money and from 2009 to 2015, that's kind of where I hit a hard stop because I realized this wasn't going to be scalable in the way that I had hoped it would be. Meaning I naively just thought I would get to maybe a hundred single family homes. That would be my ultimate goal. I would just retire off that. And, and that's the end of the story, but not even 20% of the way there. And I was completely burned out on the time commitment and and the oil industry, quite frankly, had a lot to do with me burning out. Just being in an industry I probably shouldn't have been in and didn't enjoy, didn't like, and it was really just the hustle and the grind. So what, what did I do? I, I ended up selling off my single family homes. I ended up going completely liquid. I ended up finding out that I could actually be uh, more passive in real estate by being a limited partner in apartment syndications where I could partner with groups that were experts in what they do and genuinely had an interest in what they love. 
and I could just be the limited partner aspect of that, kind of the, the silent partner, the, the money guy. <laughs> so I started diversifying that way and just, you know, putting all my money in small increments over a, a lot of different deals. And that cash flow that I received in return from those investments allowed me to leave the oil field job. And when I did that, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but what I ended up doing first is going to work for a brokerage house where I learned stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and the paper asset world. Because I thought, I don't wanna just be, you know, a, a, a black and white kind of guy, you know, one solution is, is, is the only solution. And I wanted to really stack up the whole spectrum of investing to see what really made the most sense. And as it turned out, to me anyway, real estate made the most sense. And so I didn't last very long in, in that career. So I went to go work for a small syndication group, just getting started, kind of built out their investor relations team. That's all I, I really could bring to the table at that time. I was a limited partner and that was my only credential in the space. That later led to investing with Ashcroft Capital and Joe Fairless. That led to me uh, coming on board in 2019 as their director of investor relations, as you pointed out, where now I can help educate and speak with investors all across the nation about apartment investing and about private placements. And since that is my, my true passion, at least right now, or, or one of them, I should say, you know, I, I'm, I'm fulfilled in that. I'm very happy and, and honored and grateful that I have the ability to reach people on that kind of level and speak to things that I love doing and being on a podcast like this. So that's kind of my story on the real estate side in a nutshell. Yeah, great. Yeah, we'll unpack all that as we go through the, the, the questions here. I want to start with, since you are the director of investor relations, you, you deal with a lot of different investors with a lot of different interests, a lot of different goals in mind. Talk to a little bit about what, when, when people come and talk to you, what are they looking for in terms of the investments that they're going to do? What are some of the things that you um, find that they feel most critical in, in doing their investments with, with you know, their real estate business? Yeah, that's a great question. So Ashcroft Capital specifically works with accredited investors only, and that's because of the type of offering they do called a 506C offering. So that's just an SEC regulation that, that we can only accept uh, accredited investors. Why I point that out is because I, I'm, I'm mostly working with high net worth and high income individuals, sophisticated already in real estate. And, and again, just I'll caveat this too. That's just the Ashcroft Capital side as director of investor relations. Those are the conversations I have in, in that bubble. Now, I also educate, I, I do most of my educating actually on an individual side. So just coming from the perspective of I'm a limited partner myself with a bunch of different groups and a bunch of different deals and just helping paint the picture of what this industry is all about to non-accredited and accredited investors from, from that perspective. So to answer your question, a lot of people understand real estate fundamentally. We, we understand that, you know, what leverage is and putting debt and a mortgage on a property and having a tenant move in and pay rent. And, you know, we can all see that when we do a value add project and we renovate the units and the landscaping and the branding and, and all of this, that we increase the value, we increase the rent and therefore the property hopefully is worth more years later than it is upon the day that we bought it. So very simple business model. What I try to help educate on though, are just the, the few missing pieces that some folks 
may not you know be familiar with you know what, what is a, a ppm private placement memorandum a subscription agreement an operating agreement what what about this scenario what about that scenario what about covid what about you know so i'm trying to kind of fill in those small missing pieces to paint the picture of you know a private placement and what that is and how to invest in those and so yeah it, it's mostly real estate people with a real estate mindset just maybe looking to to switch over from single family to multifamily or perhaps a doctor dentist lawyer attorney that's very career focused and just is looking to park some capital outside of their 401k or their ira in a, in an alternative investment besides uh, wall street in the stock market yeah, so most everyone you're dealing with already has sort of a fundamental understanding of the real estate space. And they're just sort of, like you said, they're looking to diversify their investment capital from stocks, bonds, mutual funds, or whatever they're invested in. Now it's in some more non-traditional investments and syndications is one of the um, ways they do that. And so you're, you're not finding that they're, that you have to educate them a great deal on the basis of, of real estate, but their concerns are sort of market concerns at the moment to COVID, things like that the rent moratoriums or, or eviction moratoriums. So those, those are kind of some of the concerns that people have at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Especially yeah. The, the COVID, of course, a lot of concern there, but additionally, you know, it's election year. Some people are on pause because of that. Civil unrest things happening. I mean, there's a lot of factors. And so how does that pertain to multifamily or more specifically, you may understand apartments or single family or real estate, but what you may not understand is why, break-even occupancy is important, uh, why having a higher exit cap rate may be important in the underwriting of a deal, things like this. So there's, there's a lot of you know, off-the-wall questions like that. And it really comes down to the individual, their risk tolerance, their goals, and whether or not this type of investment is even appropriate for that person. And I would say in, in a great deal of cases, it may not be just because they are illiquid. And, you know, if, if you really don't understand this sector or real estate, it, it, you may be taking on risk that, that's unnecessary, perhaps. And, you know, the last thing you want to do is invest in things that you're uncomfortable with, that you don't understand, where your money's locked up for five to seven years. That's, that's probably not going to be a, a great thing for you. So that's what I help educate on so people have a, a better understanding and a, a fuller, broader understanding of what this stuff is and, and how it works. Yeah, sort of a soup to nuts, um, sort of education on, on just the basics of how the syndications work. So people make sure they're in the, doing the right thing, right? So exactly. let's talk about, let's talk about the difference, or I guess the relationship between someone that's coming in and investing in a limited partnership and the general partnership, I guess, fundamentally you have an operating group and a, and a investing group in a syndication. If you'll, if you don't mind sort of run through how those two are different and how they work together to achieve a common goal. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of the fundamental reasons that, that I chose private placements and multifamily and the, these syndications is because in my days working on Wall Street, so to speak, there really was no alignment of interests. And what I mean is that that co-investment model, you know, where I can call you up, Sean, directly and as, as you being a general partner and ask you questions about the underwriting or why you're making a decision this way or why the business plan says that or what this means or you know get a, get a better idea on my monthly update of, of of what's going on i like that that partnership i like that relationship aspect and when you you work on wall street it's like 
you know, here's, here's a bunch of mutual funds and go push those out to the world, whether or not I myself believe in them, whether or not I invest in them, it, that's just kind of how the model works. You're not really taught a lot on investing from an individual standpoint, why you would do it in, in the ins and outs. You're really taught about how things are structured, what fees they have, and then, you know, go get people to buy them. <laughs> and so I really fell out of love with that model very quickly. And I really, to answer your question more specifically, the, the, so the general partners are the, the folks going out there, finding a deal, underwriting it, walking the units, putting together the business plan, putting together the legal docs, assembling a property management team, or perhaps they do that in-house and they're vertically integrated, it, and then attracting the capital to the project to close the deal and have a renovation budget and all these things, depending on what type of business model you're doing. And that, that funding primarily is coming from the limited partners like myself. Usually there's a co-investment where the GPs are also putting their own money in the deal, but most of that money is coming from the limited partners who, you know, like, like I said, in my experience, when I was doing the active stuff, I, I just didn't have the time to go dedicate you know, to, to doing all this active real estate and, or being a general partner. And there's so many folks as I pointed out, the, the doctor, dentist, lawyer, attorney, pro athlete, business owner, a lot of people are career focused or focused on whatever it is they do. Maybe it's even, you know, charity work or being retired and they just don't necessarily want to get their eye off the ball, so to speak. So they're willing to go partner with a team who's going to do kind of the, the legwork, so to speak. And then they, as a limited partner, uh, can participate and the cash flow and the potential equity upside and, and those types of things. So it really is a business partnership. As a limited partner, what you're really doing is making a bet on the sponsorship team in their ability to execute a business plan. You know, I'm being presented this plan that these are our projected numbers. We think we can get this kind of cash flow. We think we can get this kind of equity. We think we're gonna hold it about five years. We think we're gonna renovate hundred units. I'm, I'm weighing that up, weighing it against the track record experience, the ability of that team to actually be able to do that. And if I feel like that's got a, a good chance of happening, then I'm likely to invest in a deal like that. If they're brand new, never done this before, and they're buying some thousand unit property that's a super heavy value add, it gets a little scarier <laughs> and the risk goes up and I may not participate in a deal like that. So it's really about aligning a business plan with a general partnership. And it's a great yin and yang between LPs and GPs. Yeah. I had a couple of thoughts just as, while you're, while you were talking there, I, it struck me that the way you would invest in an apartment business these days is how you used to buy stocks, you know, 30 years ago. 30 years ago, you would buy a Coca-Cola and you would hang on to it until it just continually grow. You're right. So the, you were, you're buying Coca-Cola because it was a solid business run by solid people doing solid things. Right. And it's not like that anymore. The stock market doesn't operate that way anymore. You still have to invest in solid businesses and, and you're still looking for those things, but the market has fluctuations and volatility that have almost nothing to do with how successful the business is anymore, you know, on a, on a, on a micro level, I guess. So it's almost yeah. like, investing in apartment operations or, or syndications like this is, is like buying stocks from 30 years ago. That was just a thought I had as you were talking, explaining that. Mm -hmm. And then the, the second thing was being a limited partner is it does take some 
uh, work on your on your behalf, right? It's not completely passive. It, we call it passive, but it's not completely passive. You do have to educate yourself about the fundamentals of real estate, and you definitely want to educate yourself about the fundamentals of the deal you're investing in. The beauty of that, I think, is that you have a very close relationship or, or close contact with the people that are going to operate that business, that are putting that business together. So it's, it's again, it's like it's like the old days where you're buying stocks from a, a, a company. You can actually get involved with the, the team and say, hey, why are you why are you kind of making this decision? What are you thinking about this? You know, have you have you considered these things down the road? What's going to happen with that? And you can have those conversations. So it gives you a different comfort level, I think, in, in placing your money with the, those those general partners and those operators of the business. And it, I think that's, it, it, you know, it gives you, I don't know what you would call that exactly, but it, it's almost like you have better, you have more control over how you're going to invest your money and you have different options with different groups, different types of investments, different property sizes. So there's there's a lot of things you can control there and, and what, what you're going to decide to invest in, right? Yeah. And, and we were talking before the podcast, it's, you know, for the folks that enjoy having that personal relationship, we were talking about why people generally like real estate, because it's a tangible asset. It makes logical sense. We can all understand renting an apartment and what that means and how that works. We can understand buying a single family house and, and, and or renting one, you know, but to understand all the the ins and outs of investing in a, in a Google or a Facebook or a Tesla, we, we're a little less clear on how that works. And, and to your point, it's so nice, in my opinion, to me, to be able to reach out uh, to you, the general partner, and to ask those questions and to have that relationship and to be learning and almost involved to a point. I may not be calling the shots as a limited partner, but you know, some groups allow for, for voting from the limited partners. Do you guys want to refinance? Do you guys want to sell? Do you guys want to continue holding? I mean, that, that can be a possibility, but for anyone looking to have more of that hands-on, in a sense, involvement with your investing and not just buying some mutual fund that some financial person said to buy, and then trying to hope and pray that, you know, the stock market just goes up forever, you know, d different courses for different horses, right? <laughs> Some people I'm sure like that. And, but for me, to your point, the volatility, let's relate it like this. And so if we're buying a 400 unit apartment complex privately, and then attracting limited partners to invest in that and, and execute this business plan, well, let's take that same scenario but put that into a REIT, a real estate investment trust, and let's say that that's publicly traded on the stock market. Well, two things might happen and are likely to happen. Either that REIT gets overvalued, so if you and I go invest in it, we might be paying a ridiculous amount of money per door or per unit to invest in that property where the numbers really don't make sense and it's really difficult to understand how that would be and, and why that would be. And number two, would be, let's say we're holding that REIT and then some guru comes on CNBC and says, the sky is falling, we're going into a depression. And then boom, we, we lose 20% of our money on real estate that fundamentally didn't change. We still had great collections. We still had tenants. We still had all, all these things. Nothing changed on the ground level, yet you and I just lost 20% of our investment. And I just can't stomach that stuff. <laughs> Everybody's different, but I just can't put a large sum of money into that type of model. Right, exactly. Yeah, volatility is, uh, is scary with Wall Street. You have, no, you have zero control, really. Uh, in, in 
real estate, you don't, as a limited partner, you have limited control other than the decision you make to, to invest. But at least you have sort of a more, I, I would think it's more of a comfort level of what the, the business operations are. So you, yeah. you come from both sides. So you've actually operated your own business as Flix and Flipper and, and, and sort of on the general, I guess, more of a general active partner side. And you've done the limited partner side. Talk to about what it is that makes it more attractive for you to kind of be on the limited partner side as opposed to be a more active putting together deals and things. Yeah, and, and good point. And just to clarify, so I wasn't a, a general partner on a syndication, but I did do vacation rentals that I independently right. owned and fix and flips and things. And, and so what I speak to a lot and what I blog about, I just recently wrote a blog about self-awareness and the power of just knowing your strengths and, and your weaknesses. And it, this isn't to say that one side is right and one side is wrong, obviously. Right. What it's about is knowing yourself and then knowing should you be pursuing this avenue or that avenue. So for me, being an LP came from a couple different things. One was me being burned out on the active side. But if we if we dig in a little deeper to why that was, you know, a couple examples were I was doing a fix and flip out in Colorado. It was probably my second one that I was doing. I didn't have a good network of contractors and people to help me. I was actually, this particular day, this moment I'm, I'm thinking of right now, I had my mom come over and help me <laughs> with whatever she was doing and uh, fixing a window or something. And, and she yells down the stairs. She says, Travis, can you give me the electric drill? And I thought, I don't own an electric drill. <laughs> <laughs> That was like the light bulb that's like, wait a second, I'm flipping a house and I don't own an electric drill. Should I even be flipping a house? Am I even qualified to do this? And one, I didn't enjoy the process, which is why I'm trying to bring people in to help me with it. And two, it just wasn't my strength. I'm not a handyman, you know, I, I'm just really not a hand. I can paint. That's about it. And so it was, it was that self-awareness where I thought, you know what, people around me are doing this better people around me have wider profit margins people around me have they're finding better deals you know and i can't really compete with that i mean i could i could work and work and work and work and work at it but again i didn't like it so i didn't want to work at it so it was just that realization that maybe i should find the people who are passionate about this who are experts in this field and why don't i just you know, piggyback off their success, so to speak, right? I'll contribute some money, we'll share in the profits. And that's the yin and the yang. And that was the model and the reason why I went to the limited partner side. The other reason, aside from my own story, that a reason a lot of folks will choose an LP route is what I described earlier. There's a lot of working professionals that quite frankly, I mean, you think about a, a doctor working Monday through Friday, is it reasonable then to take Saturday and Sunday to go fix and flip houses and then go back to your practice on Monday? Like it, it probably not. And so this would be a great opportunity for a doctor or a dentist to invest passively with a team who's actually doing the legwork on their behalf. Equally so on the general partnership side, if you love helping people in that way and you love structuring these deals and you're good at it and you've got uh, a network and connections and this is just something of, of interest that you genuinely enjoy, maybe look into being a general partner then and structuring these things yourself. That's just not a good fit for me personally, but we're all different. And so it's understanding yourself, your strengths and weaknesses. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm the opposite of, of what you like. I, I I like getting in there and getting and getting involved. Anywhere from finding the deal to, you know, what are we going to do to fix it up? Where where are we going to capture you know rent increases? Where are we going to get all this you know taken care of? So all that sort of building the deal is is kind of the things I'm most passionate about. I I love creating a a property that that people are proud to live in and proud to you know that that enjoy being there. And the other part that I really love too is working with my investors to make them money. Really, you know, that's that's kind of a a, a huge uh, rush for me is to, to to take someone's investment capital and then give them back more money. You know, <laughs> it's always a lot of fun to do that. And so that's a that's a huge part of my business, and and I love that control, right? So for me, it's about controlling the destiny of that project, and and I I like to really take that whole thing on. For me to sit back and 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 be a a limited partner would be torturous, I think, you know, because I, I want to hold on to it and, and work that project. But. Yep. And that's a great point. I appreciate you bringing that up because absolutely 100% when you're a limited partner, you are relinquishing control yeah. to someone else in exchange for being able to diversify and, and invest maybe in multiple markets, multiple deals. And you have to be comfortable with that. You have to understand and, and respect that you know, that, you know, your, your money might be tied up for five years out of your control and you're, you're betting on the team to execute the business plan. Like we talked about, and a lot of people struggle with that. And so that's why these conversations I have with investors are a lot about this stuff. It's a lot about, have you done this before? Do you realize that, you know, if you need your money in a year, you can't just get it back. You know, the, these are not publicly traded shares like a REIT, you know, and, and so it's painting that picture and making sure that the folks who are investing with us are uh, sophisticated at a level that they can understand these investments inside and out to the point that they feel comfortable and that they can make that decision for themselves. Yeah, I think a lot of it is, you know, the, the you don't get this sort of information in school. You have to come you have to commit to learning it yourself and going out and finding the information, listening to podcasts like yours and 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 getting those that education. And I think that's uh, the critical first step. And, and a lot of people don't realize, you know, when, when you have your corporate job or your, or your job, you have your 401k and your investments and you sort of hand your money over to the advisors or whatever, and they, they take it and put it into mutual funds or whatever they're going to do with it. And you're kind of hands off. It's, it's not really uh, something you have to continually learn about. Whereas these non-traditional investments, like we're discussing the syndications and even fix and flip investing or, or, or lending or whatever, it takes a little bit more active participation to, 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 to get to where you're comfortable and, and educated enough to, to do that successfully. And so that's some of what you're doing. You're, you're educating people all the time on, on how to kind of be that passive investor. Yeah. Yeah. The, the show that Theo Hicks and I launched the podcast, it's just him and I kind of once a week, you know, different topics, but we called it the actively passive show. And it's kind of the irony of, yeah, I'm a passive investor, but there's an active component to that. And that's kind of what we cover. And it's things like self-awareness, knowing yourself, doing some macro level research where people moving out of where people moving to or businesses relocating what does the eviction moratorium mean what are the policies what's the the biden versus the trump tax plan like it's just it's some high level stuff you don't have to dedicate like i do hours and hours and hours per week for the last decade but again my goal would be to get everyone participating in these offerings 
to that sophisticated level where you can just understand the fundamentals of real estate and apartment investing and also the macro level of just the economy and what's happening. And if you can just grasp those, you know, in the, in the ins and outs of what you're investing in, that's the, the minimum level that you probably should be at, at a, as a passive investor anyway. Yeah, it does take a little more, it does take them a little more learning and participation, but it, it, a lot of times it's worth it because you get a, a different, a different level of, of comfort with your investing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Travis, let's talk about, you know, the, the podcast is called Next Little American Dream. And I think um, the American Dream is live and well, but I think it's up to all of us to sort of take more control over that. We've talked about uh, educating yourself from, as, as a limited passive investor. So Travis, let's talk a little bit about uh, the today's American Dream and how that kind of uh, looks for most people, how, how they're, they're taking responsibility for their own finances and, and how that works into multifamily syndication. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and I love that that's kind of your message here to the podcast. That's the title of the podcast because we are, in my opinion, at a huge transition point from the old school way of investing and just the models that may or may not even exist in 20, 30 years, especially for millennials and, and, and folks of my age. And so I'll explain it through my viewpoint. And that is, you know, typically we get a lot of financial education from our parents. My dad was kind of the old school. He worked for really one company for 30 plus years. He had a pension. He had a 401k later in that process, you know, and, and living on social security and all these things. Well, first of all, I don't believe for myself that social security is even going to be a thing. I certainly don't have a pension. I've been self-employed a lot of my life, so there's not much, you know, there to contribute to. I used to have like a Roth and a pre-tax IRA and 401k. I got rid of all that stuff. And the reason is I really wanted to take the hands-on approach, the, the actively passive approach. And I wanted to create my own account, you know, my own social security, so to speak. I didn't want to rely on the government. And so what I did is I started investing in real tangible assets that I felt were essential and needed and necessary, where I could capture cash flow. To me, that's the name of the game. It's passive income and it's cash flow. And I thought, if I could build up enough passive income streams through, you know, let's say you're working and saving and then investing, instead of just putting your money in the bank or under the mattress, you're actually putting it into something that has a yield to it. I could one, live off that cash flow now, which gives me, you know, flexibility over lifestyle. It gives me options if I want to work full-time or part-time or switch careers, try new things or retire early, perhaps, if that's what I wanted to do. It's about that freedom and flexibility. Two would be, you know, your, your average, you know, social security is probably between what, a thousand and two thousand a month, we'll say, for, for the average American in their retirement. Well, you know, if you're a studier of real estate <laughs> and you understand the fundamentals behind that, you could probably get to that level in, you know, five or 10 years, sometimes in one or two years. It just really depends on the model you're using and what you're doing. And so I thought, well, why not just have the option to have that retirement account, you know, now instead of later? And so it, that's really what my message is to the world is we all have to get to retirement eventually. Warren Buffett's famous quote, if you don't learn how to make money in your sleep, then you'll work till the day you die, really resonates with me. 
And so it's this whole idea that how do you make money in your sleep? How do you make money passively? And why not create those income streams in your 30s, 40s, 50s, and not in your 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, and, and have that knowledge and background and experience now. So to me, that's kind of the big picture of why I do what I do and, uh, you know, why I pursue the LP route, which again is just everybody's different. And, and it's not to say that you shouldn't do a combination of both. I know a lot of GPs that are also LPs. So it, it's all in being able to pursue your dreams and aspirations and, and things that you're passionate about that you enjoy that you're best at. Yeah. And it's not necessarily about retirement. It, it, it's about having, like you said, having options, right, in your life yeah. and uh, creating a life that you can kind of live and, and lead that makes you satisfied or happy or content or whatever you want to call it. And having those additional passive flows of income takes some of that weight off of you. You know, I, I know in, in our life, we've had, you know, my wife has had a corporate job most of her, pretty much up, up until recently. And you always, you're always having that question is, well, can I change jobs or can I, can I move this job? Can I do something different? You know, and, and if you don't have those sort of safety nets, I guess, of, of smart investing and passive flows, those decisions become, you know, you just can't, you can't leave your job because you're stuck. You can't, you just can't do these things that you want to do. So you find yourself 10, 20 years down the road and you're still kind of just grinding through a corporate job. But a lot of people think of this stuff as the goal is retirement. Well, it's not really retirement necessarily. It's options while you're living, right? It's, it's options while you're, while you're young, if you, can, if you can make that happen. And the sooner you kind of get those things started, the quicker you can get to that place where your passive income takes care of your lifestyle. And then those decisions of what career to have or what jobs to have or work to do becomes your, you know, just becomes your choice, right? It's not something you're stuck doing or, you know, you do this because it's what you've always done kind of thing. So. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. And if we look at the facts behind the traditional system, just to paint that picture, you know, a, right. a little more broadly, it's, you know, you, you take like an IRA account, Roth, pre-tax, whatever. Well, you, you can't realistically pull money out till 59 and a half. So the, the idea is don't think about it, just put money in it. And then later in life, you can check that out. Social security, you can't pull till what, 62, I think it is. Yeah. So, so the whole system is set up to where it's like, put all your spare cash into a vehicle that you can't even look at really till your 60s or, or at least not use it. And so when you reverse engineer that system and say, well, what if I have an account that I can touch today if I so choose without a penalty involved? You know, it, it's, there's a great book, by the way. Uh, this changed my whole perspective on what I'm talking about. It's called 401 Chaos. It was written by Andy Tanner. And it really describes why 401ks were ever invented, why they're structured the way they're structured, what the real goals and incentives were, and then to, to understand the taxes behind it, to understand that a lot of things you hold in a 401k, like stocks, long-term, meaning more than one year, you know, when you pull that money out, you're taxed as ordinary income, you know, at the end of the day. But if you were to do the same thing, same investments in a brokerage account, it'd be long-term capital gains that could be taxed at zero, 15%, you know, a lot lower brackets for a lot of folks. So it's just, again, it's like, you don't have to be a, a master studier of all of this, but just having that awareness, just reading a few books, finding a few mentors uh, to help paint this picture can really really help. And that's really, I know we talked before our call about mentors and the importance there, but it's life-changing to find someone who can help you in your own situation, figure this stuff out. Well, and like you were saying, the, the, the traditional system of, of just 
hiring or giving your money to a Wall Street and having them invest in 401ks for you, uh, that's a very hands-off approach. But uh, there's not a lot of benefit to you. There's there's a lot of ways the game is somewhat. I want I don't want to say rigged against you, but you know it, it seems as though your interest and their interest aren't in alignment, right? And what they're trying to accomplish and what they're what you're trying to accomplish don't necessarily aren't necessarily the same thing. At the end of the day, the Wall Street you know funds are making money whether you make money or lose money. And in fact, they're making money on both sides, which is counter to what you're trying to accomplish. You're trying to invest your money and have it make more money, right? And it's, oh, I'm sorry, it's, I didn't... It, it's not always, that's not always the case. A lot of times you, you're, you're just, you're not, you're, they're not looking out for your interest. And so educating yourself on some of these other investment vehicles and some of these other investment types, it does take a little more personal interaction or engagement, but ultimately you're gonna be better off down the road and you're gonna have more benefits like, you know, like investing in real estate you have, a couple of ways you make money. You make money through cash flow. You make money on the, you know, when you sell the property, capital gains and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just taking that personal responsibility can be a, a huge benefit to you down the road. Absolutely. And as you were speaking about that, I really want to drive this point home for anyone that, that may not be familiar, but yes, you're a hundred percent correct. The, the wall street model, having worked in this industry firsthand and, and, and holding these, these licenses, but is it's not about educating the employees about investing per se, like we're having a conversation about and how these things work. It's about assets under management. It's about attracting as much capital as humanly possible and then tagging a, a like a 2% fee on that. And when the market's up 10%, they get a 2% fee. And when the market's down 20%, they get a 2% fee. And, you know, just does, does that sit well? with you, anybody listening? <laughs> I mean, right. And here's the real example. In, in my grandma's case, my grandma passed away last year and we didn't know her financial situation, unfortunately, because we really could have helped her a lot earlier in life. But I guess we just assumed she knew what she was doing or her advisors were helping or something. I don't know. And so we got to digging into these, these statements of her IRAs and, and brokerage account and what she had astonished me. It infuriated me. She, they had put her in some kind of managed account that pulled a 2% annual fee of everything in that account. And then she had some advisor who also charged a 2% fee on top of that. So she was paying 4% annually in fees. And, and what did they have her in being, you know, she was in her eighties. They had her in conservative bonds, which paid approximately 4%. And over the last decade of the stock market, which has primarily been a bull run straight up, I mean, if you look at a long-term chart, she made a 0% return over that decade, her account. So she got killed by inflation. And it just and it infuriated me. So again, you don't have to be an expert in all this stuff, but just to understand that system and how those things work, just please take at least that much of an interest in, in your own future, your own retirement to uh, make a decision for yourself if that's right for you or not. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, take the steps necessary to at least get to the place where you're not stuck in something like that for sure. That's, that's a terrible story. I, I, I feel horrible about that, but they, they, you know, it's, if you take the, just a couple steps to learn a few things about these investments that you're in or, or that you want to be in, it's, it can go a long way. Let's talk about, you know, the name of the podcast is uh, Next Level American Dream. We always ask everybody uh, kind of what, what is the, the American dream for you? 
And, you know, for us, uh, the traditional American dream of go to college, get a pension, retire is, is kind of, I don't think that exists anymore, really. Uh, but I think the American dream itself is still alive and well, and it comes in a lot of forms. So what is, what is the American dream for you, Travis? That's a great question. And as I alluded to earlier, a lot of us get our financial advice from our parents. Well, again, to take my dad as the example, you know, what would he describe about, you know, how I should retire? Well, he's got a pension. Will I have that? No. He's got social security. Will I have that? Perhaps not. I don't know. You know, he had a 401k. I don't have that. He was an employee. I'm self-employed. Like there's really not a lot you can do to help someone when, when that situation to your point doesn't really exist anymore. So my parents did a great job at teaching me personal finance. So like budgeting and, you know, living below your means, using coupons, buying the off brand, don't buying crap you don't need. I'm so grateful and thankful for that. But the investing side had to come from me taking ownership in, in my own success, so to speak, and finding mentors. So to answer your question, to me, what the American dream is about is freedom as we all know, is kind of the, the core fundamental to living in America. It's the freedom of choice to pursue what it is you want to pursue and having that ability. So how do you, how do, you do that? That sounds nice, but what are the practical steps? Well, for me, it's about creating multiple passive income streams that can help support your lifestyle expenses, ideally covering all of them and then some, but even if it's covering half of them, that gives you more freedom and less stress if you want to retire, if you want to switch from full-time work to part-time work, if you want to pivot careers and do something new, if you want to spend more time with your kids and your family. I mean, everybody's got their, their why and their what, but to me, it's building the, the you know, it's the art of creating a lifestyle. We, we were talking a little bit about right. stoicism before the podcast and, you know, 2000 years ago, they're talking about this stuff. It's the art of creating, you know, a life that you want to live that's fulfilling, that brings happiness to you. That's still true today. And it's just the process that's changed from 2000 years ago through today. And we have a tremendous amount of options that we can pull from when it comes to investing and taking ownership in our financial future, it just takes a little bit of stepping outside the box, the traditional box, and educating yourself, finding a mentor, a coach, a book, a podcast, and just opening your mind a little bit to what those things are. Yeah, that's, that's great. And my, my next question, you've already answered, I guess, a little bit of it, but what are, what are a couple of things that, that have taken you from, the ne from where you were to the next level in your American dream? You, you mentioned mentors, uh, and that's, that's probably something that's been helpful. So here's how I define a mentor or a coach. I don't necessarily have to define, or I don't define that as having to be a, a human being that's face-to-face -face telling you what to do. A mentor could come from a book. It could come from a podcast. It could be a YouTuber. It could be a lot of things. But that being said, the most effective mentors in my life, the single-handed one thing that's helped me the most has been finding a person who is successfully doing what it is I want to do, and then being able to have conversations with them. Sometimes that could be on a paid consulting basis. Sometimes that could be on a free basis. And I try to be a free mentor for people where I do these free 15-minute Q&A calls with people all across the spectrum, investors, to just add value if I can or point them in the right direction of some resources because that's what I was really lacking early on in my investing career. And, and again, just to reiterate, that's made the biggest impact because a book is nice, 
but what I, what I find most often is I get to that last chapter and I close it and I go, hmm, that's cool, except what about COVID? <laughs> what about if interest rates go to 6%? What about, you know, the election coming up? And so it's nice to have an actual mentor where you can ask those questions or say, hey, why don't you put yourself in my shoes and what would you do in this scenario? Right. And to kind of work through that with someone who's experienced and knowledgeable, that's fundamentally just a great thing to do. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And I think uh, you touched upon it a moment ago too. And I'll, I was we talked about this earlier, but I think you know all of us have a dream of what we want to accomplish, this freedom that we're trying to achieve. And I think the second step in that is believing that it's possible, right? All of us believe that th certain things are possible, you know, because we see it happening. So I know people can buy apartment buildings. I know people can invest in apartment buildings. But believing that it's possible for me is really, I think, the biggest first hurdle that most of us go through in trying these new things. And having someone that is an example, like you said, that that sort of makes that connection that hey, if this guy can do it or if this person can do it, then I should be able to do it too. And having that belief in yourself is becomes becomes more realistic when you have someone there that says, hey, you, I've done it, you can do it. So I think that's great advice in, in finding someone that, that is an example of what you want to do. Because it gets you past that really, that really hard first hurdle of saying, I, "This is I, I believe that I can do it." You know, absolutely. What we're talking about there is limiting beliefs, and there's a lot of ways yeah. you can overcome limiting beliefs. And again, we're we we're talking earlier about Tony Robbins from a high level. For those not familiar, he wrote a, an excellent book in the '90s called "Unleash the Power Within." I think it's one of his best books still today. And it's all about human psychology. It's about your limiting beliefs and it's about expanding your mind and your context to, to your point, believing that you can achieve what it is you want to achieve. So that might be, if you find yourself in that situation where you think, oh, apartments and real estate, that, that takes a lot of money. I don't have the skills. I don't have the, you know, what, if, if, you, if you've got these limiting beliefs, that might be a good first step is check out a book like that one or any other coaching program or training program or mentorship to help you overcome uh, those limiting beliefs. And then two would be uh, finding someone, you know, to my point earlier, that's actually doing it. And I'll share with you this really quick is there's a few people in my network that I've met through conferences and real estate meetup groups and masterminds that are in their 60s and 70s. They've done over 100 LP deals. And I'm genuinely inspired by this. This is the path I'm on. It's what I'm passionate about. It's where I want to be in my 60s and 70s. And to be able to reach out to these folks and, and for them to say, hey, look, here's my portfolio. The, you know, this is what I invest in. This is how it works. These are my returns. These are my yields. Really paints the picture, you know, seeing is believing, right? And right. it's one thing to read a book or a Harvard business study. It's another to find a real person that you really know face-to-face -face that's willing to share with you that information. And yeah, so mentors are great and limiting beliefs should cut them off. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. You know, I'm a, I'm a little bit older myself and I was raised, my parents were, they actually grew up in the, in the depression. So I was raised, raised with some pretty limiting beliefs myself. So it's, it's a daily battle you have to go through. So it's good. And, and that mentor comment, I think I've never really thought of it that way. I, I have mentors in my life. I have people that are around me that I try to surround myself with people that are, are trying to achieve the same thing I am. And I didn't really think about the connection until you and I talked, uh, how that kind of 
helps me at least get beyond those limiting beliefs and some of those fears that I have in myself and, and really kind of believe in what I can do because you're seeing them do it, you know, and I think it's, I think that's really powerful and it's great advice on your part to, to put that out there. Well, Travis, I really appreciate you doing this. We had to do it twice today. I, I apologize for that, but it was, it was great to get to talk to you uh, both times actually. And I, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. And we talked a lot about educating yourself about getting into these new and unconventional investing and, and uh, you know, traditional investing as well. And you do a lot of that on podcasts and, and those sorts of things. Do you mind sharing with some of the people um, or sharing with the people some of the, the places they can find you and reach out to you? Sure. Yeah. First and foremost, the call I keep alluding to that I do with people, the free 15 minute Q&A call, you can find that at ashcroftcapital.com forward slash connect with Travis. It's just simply a link. You select a time that works for you and we'll connect. And I talk to 18 year olds buying their first house and 70 year olds that heard the word syndication yesterday and want to know what that means. Everybody in between. I'm happy to be a resource. Like I said, if I can, I'm not the expert in most things, but I can point you in the direction of resources and programs and books and, and, and educational pieces to the point of this conversation. Additionally, yeah, Theo and I, we, we run the Actively Passive show. That's a YouTube-based video show. It's, it's under the Best Ever umbrella, Joe Fairless's company. Check that out for more on being a passive investor and what active elements play into that. I blog on Bigger Pockets and LinkedIn. You can search me, Travis Watts. My last name is W-A-T-T-S. Find me there. Send me a direct message, connect, and I'm just happy to help if I can. And so reach out. And thanks so much, Sean, for having me. Well, I really appreciate it. You don't know what it means having you do this again. And hopefully we'll have more reasons to get you on the show in the future, okay? Sounds good. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Next Level American Dream. If you would like to learn more about what we talked about today, want to contact the team directly, or interested in passively investing and being a part of our deal room, head over to our website at www.thompsonmultifamilygroup.com. Before you go, please leave a review. Your comments help us create more episodes for you to enjoy.